Amen. Well, did you guys do it? Did you write it out? I'm looking for any sort of nod or affirmation. Thank you. Good. Good morning, you guys. Are you glad you're here? Do you remember where you were 15 years ago today? It was a Tuesday morning. I had just gotten to my new job as youth pastor at Valley Christian Fellowship in Solvang, California. And I was about three weeks away from my wedding. And I got online, dial up internet, and I saw these pictures on AOL. And I thought it was some movie. Do you remember where you were? You know, today we remember something that was very difficult and very painful, but it's also something that is a reminder to us that all of this is not guaranteed. That we are here today and it's not a guarantee we will see tomorrow. We are here in this life is, honestly, it's fleeting. It's a, it's a breath. When I was in India, my family and I, we, we lived in India, and one of the crazy things about being in India is almost every day I faced near-death experiences. It's so weird to me to be here in the U.S. after just a few months, and I haven't nearly died yet today. <laughs> in fact, I can't remember my last near-death experience. But when you're in India, it's a daily thing. Something happens. You're driving in your car and something jumps out in front of you. It's honestly like a video game where you just don't know what's going to happen next. Electricity. One time my wife was getting a pedicure, I'm using quotations, with, with a friend. And uh, so they were in this thing where they had a little, this was in India, okay. And so she put her feet in this little basin, this, this washer basin, like massager thing. You guys might have something like that at home where it sort of bubbles up your feet and it's plugged into the wall, by the way. And uh, the lady was washing my wife and her friend's feet and for some reason, they were done. And they just said, okay, take your feet out. And she was drying my wife's feet when all of a sudden there was a power surge and literally, that, that little basin that was plugged into the wall started smoking and caught on fire. Totally poof, blew a fuse. And I have no idea if my wife was seconds away from being electrocuted or not while she was getting a pedicure. The point is, we live lives that are very fragile. You know, we, we think that we're going to last forever, don't we? Especially when you're young and you're like John Salmon and you're like, I'm invincible. But the truth is, every single one of us is facing a reality that we will meet our maker very soon. You realize that, right? You're with me? And that's, that's one of the reasons why we went to India. My wife, my my. I have three amazing kids, Ellie, who just turned 12, Raiden, who's nine, and Mercy, who's six. And this was about four years ago. 
God, God just put it on our hearts. We've got one life. We need to try to serve God with everything. And one of the things is when, you, when you're in near-death experiences, what do you tend to do? You evaluate your life, right? Have you ever had one of those moments? Raise your hand if, yeah, I had a near-death experience. And, and like your life flashes before your eyes? Mine, that's never happened to me. But what I do is I evaluate there have been a lot of times, a lot of instances where I say goodnight to my kids and I know the next day I'll be driving the road to Bihar, one of the most dangerous roads in the world. Riots, traffic accidents, people die on this road every day. And I say goodnight to my kids and I hug them and I think to myself, have I done everything I could? Are my, do, have I done enough that my kids know the reality of Jesus? Have I done enough to where my wife and my family know have I modeled Jesus before them? You see, when we don't face near-death experiences, we tend to forget. This is one of the reasons God called us over to India, I believe, was because we've got one life, and it's short, you guys. It's short. Some of you realize you've buried friends recently, and you realize this is way too short. And so I guess my point is this morning, piggybacking on what we talked about last week with Shema and this Shema lifestyle, where we are living lives where we are overwhelmed and our life is overflowing from the forgiveness we experienced in Jesus. To live a life like this, that is why we went over to India a couple years ago. Actually, it's a lot more than a couple now. This was 2007, okay? I... Uh, was at a youth pastor's convention, and, and I was convicted because I had a spoon-fed Christianity. And I loved Jesus. I had a real relationship with Jesus. But my doctrinal positions, the, uh, what I believed about God and the Holy Spirit and, and eschatology and all these things looked a lot like the church that I grew up in. Looked a lot like the pastors I had heard speaking. Looked a lot like my professors at Moody Bible Institute. And I began to realize that I need to read the Bible like it's really truly alive. And I began to do that, and we began to read God's word. My wife, my kids, and I, we began to teach our students this. And we began to see amazing truths in God's word. And one of those amazing truths, are you ready for this? He cares about the whole world. On almost every page of scriptures, of, of scripture, you hear about the nations. You hear that God's plan, his desire has always been that the world would be filled with the people of God. You know about the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, Acts 1-8, all of these different passages. But you know the first Great Commission was? He gave it to Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He gave it to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Habakkuk 2.14 says, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as water covers the sea. That's God's end game. That's what he's working towards. That's what he's calling us towards, that we would fill the earth with his people. Look with me in this passage. Luke 19. We're talking about the purpose statement of Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, 
A wee little man was he. That's not in there. Has anybody heard that song? You remember that song? Okay. I learned that song here in this church. Actually, some of you might have been my teacher singing that to me. Isn't that a funny song? I was singing it to my kids last night, you know. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to resist the temptation right now. I love this story. It's a hilarious story. If you have any sort of imagination at all, I want you to imagine what does Zacchaeus look like. I'm imagining he's very, very short. And that, to me, means that he's got to be very, very fat. And so I don't know how he had the agility to climb this sycamore tree, but this is an amazing story. I want you to use your imagination as we read through this. So there was a man there in Jericho named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So did you take this story? Did you put it in your own words? Nod your head if, if you're with me, if you, if you tried it. I applaud you guys who tried that. If you wrote it down, great. If you didn't, great. At least those of you that tried, I want to thank you for doing that because you know what you're doing when you, you do this? You're engaging with God's word. You're meditating on his word. And you want to know the truth? Every Bible teacher that ever comes up here and speaks, any pastor, this is what they do. This is how we get so much more out of God's word than the people do. Because we actually read through it and meditate over it and we put it in our own words. And it's powerful. It's transformative when we do that. And honestly, I want to invite you into this process that pastors and spiritual leaders go through. Because you know what? You've got what it takes. You all have what it takes to teach and explain and share God's word with somebody else. So can I do this with you? Can I put the story in my own words for you this morning? Okay, so here's the story. Jesus was walking through Jericho. And huge crowds were around him. There was this man there who was a chief tax collector. And he was also very short. And in my version, he's very fat. And for some reason, he's also bald. <laughs> he's not the most attractive guy, but he's rich. And so here's Zacchaeus, and he wants to see Jesus. Something is drawing him to Jesus. And so what he does is he, he says, I've got to see Jesus. And he thinks to himself, he's a smart guy. He's a rich guy. And he, he runs ahead. He gets to a tree. He climbs a tree. 
and he sees Jesus. And this is what he wanted. Something was drawing him to Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus is walking through the town. And Jesus looks in the trees. He sees Zacchaeus. And he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus races down. Maybe he got a sliver or something. And he gets down and he takes Jesus in great joy to his home. And the people were pretty upset about this. Because they knew what type of guy Zacchaeus was. And so they were angered. They were upset. But while they're upset and angry, Zacchaeus is in there with Jesus and he says, Jesus... Half of everything I got, I'm giving it to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to pay them four times as much. I'm no mathematician, but that's going to greatly reduce his wealth. Would you agree with me? And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this home. Because this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And Jesus said, I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and to save those who are lost. There we go. So whenever I approach Scripture, I always ask a few set of questions. I, sometimes I'll ask more questions, but these are like the basic questions I'll ask. Is what, what stuck out to me? I want you to ask this question to yourself right now. As you read through this passage, as you thought about this passage, what was something that stuck out to you? Don't, you don't have to answer. But I want you to mull that through. What stuck out to you? What was your favorite part? What part surprised you? And then I always ask the question, what does this show us about God? And then I ask the question, what does it show us about people? Or ourselves. In India, we called this the sword method because it's like shaped like a sword. We ask about what do we see about God, what do we see about ourselves, and how can we obey it? And this is what we would teach to people. It's a very simple way of doing an inductive Bible study. We do it with our kids. So, one thing that stuck out to me, it was my favorite part is the searching Savior. The idea that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, my wife and I, we and my kids, I, I don't want to brag, honestly. I'm not trying to brag, but I honestly think we might be the only people that have left Santa Barbara County to go to Bihar, India. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Everybody would ask us, you have a wonderful life here. Why would you leave? You get it, Santa Barbara County? You understand Santa Barbara? The, the average temperature is 82 degrees. <laughs> it is the place everybody wants to go. It's beautiful. If you've not been through there, it is absolutely beautiful. It's like Napa Valley, except it's warm. And actually, the... The ocean's really close. It's gorgeous, you guys. But God worked on Nicole and I that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And he put it on our hearts. We got to do that. 
that idea of go into all the world and make disciples. That was on our hearts. And so honestly, we argued with God for about five years. And we lost a, a five-year argument. We didn't have a special heart for India, honestly. We didn't have a, a special heart for Muslims. But we had a heart for Jesus and to be like Jesus and to live our lives for him and to give what we could for him, to risk it all for him. And so we went to India. Why India, you might ask? That's a great question. Because honestly, growing up, I had heard about missionaries going to India and all these things, and I honestly thought India had been gotten. I knew Kanika Patnik, and I was like, oh, she's from India. She's a Christian. Everybody in India must be Christians. I had no idea. I knew people from India. I knew that there were churches in India. William Carey was in India. Amy Carmichael was in India. I thought it was gotten. But when Nicole and I began to ask, Lord, where should we go? Just on the numbers alone, you guys. We're going to celebrate Dan and Linda Isles in a, in, a, in a few minutes and talk about them and the missionary spotlight this week. You want to know something? Here's a statistic. Do you know what an unengaged people group is? Unengaged means that we have no knowledge of a church or a believer in that area. Unengaged means not only unreached, but we don't know of anybody sharing Jesus over there. Of the world's unengaged people groups, that are 100,000 people or more, 49% of the world's unengaged people groups, 100,000 population or greater, are in northern India. Almost half the world's unengaged people groups live in northern India. Over 600 million people. Many of them are Muslim, and so God put that on our hearts, and we did that, and we bought a one-way ticket to India. Can you imagine that? So we get there. Three days of crazy travel. And I remember we arrive, and the first thing that hits you is the heat. Second thing that hits you is the smell. And we go to our place. We got this, Nicole, you remember this? We got this 400-square-foot four, apartment. And we were sitting there, and I don't know what they were doing, but it smelled sort of like manure when we first got there. You remember, Nicole? And we got there, we sat down, and we were in tears. What have we done? And so I thought, well, you know what, let's have a talk. And so we all, we sat the kids down on this big bed, and Nicole and I sat on this bed, and we just said, let's go around and ask, what are you feeling? What are some emotions going through you right now? And so... You know, Nicole shared, you know, I'm, I'm sad because I miss my family. I'm, I'm scared. And Ellie, same thing. I'm sad. I'm scared. I shared, yeah, I'm sad. I'm scared. Mercy, you know, she was only like three, so she was like, I don't know what to say. And we get to Raiden, our nine-year-old. And he, he, he like looks around and he's like, I love India. We're like, what, what? And he's like, there's animals on the road. There's dirt everywhere. I love this place. And we just laughed. But the point is, is God was calling us to be difference makers or to at least try. You know what I want on my gravestone someday? At least he tried. <laughs> you know, at least he tried. 
So I, I want to ask you guys, that's what's, that's what's my favorite part, is that's what Jesus did. And if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we do what Jesus did. And what about you, though? The question is, what do we see about God in this story? What do we see about God in this story? And by God, I mean also God in human form, in the person of Jesus. What do you see about God, the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? This is the purpose statement of Jesus in verse 10. This is, he defines why I came. Is that an important thing? Jesus says, I, the son of man, who's a prophesied person depicting who Jesus is, the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's what I'm doing here. I'm looking for the lost ones. He was searching for Zacchaeus. Who looks up in the trees? Isn't that crazy? He's walking. There's droves of people surrounding Jesus. He's walking through Jericho, and he walks through this city, and he is looking for Zacchaeus. Are you, are you getting this? He knew his name. Of course, he's God in human form. He knows everything, okay? He knew he was up in the tree. I get that. But the point is he was searching. He was searching for this guy. He came to Jericho. He was walking through, and he said, Today, there's one thing on my agenda, Zacchaeus, and that's you. I'm going to your house. And he saw. He looked up in the trees. What does this show us about God or Jesus? This shows us that he's a God who looks in the trees, He's a God that's searching for the worst. He's a God who's searching for the mess. He's a God who's searching for the lost. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm not lost, then this is not for you. If you have no need for a savior, then Jesus is, is he's honestly, he's not for you. This is for those people that are a mess, that are a wreck, that need a savior, that have sinned and they know it. Jesus is looking for those for the least, the last, and the lost. Is that you this morning? That's something about Jesus that I love. He sees Zacchaeus. He sees the least, the last, and the lost. He seeks them out, and he saves them. What does this show us about God? It shows us that at the very heart of who Jesus is, is that desire to seek and save those who are lost. If that is on God's heart, shouldn't it be on ours? Shouldn't it be on yours and mine? The next question is, what does this show us about people? What does it show us about ourselves? And in this passage, I feel like, I, I mean, I'm no genius or anything, but it seems to me there are four possible people that we can relate to in this story. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Look in the story, if you have your Bible open. There are four possible people that you and I can relate to in this story. Number one, there's Jesus, the seeker, the savior. He's the guy that, that is actually living on purpose with an intention, with a mission. He's living a Shema lifestyle. He's living that idea of seeking and saving the lost. Jesus, I believe if he were here, he would go to Target 
But he wouldn't go to Target just for what he needs there. He would go to Target to seek and save the lost. If he's got to renew his vehicle registration at the DMV, you know why he would go to the DMV? To seek and save the lost. Jesus, this is his heart. This is what he's doing. And we can identify with that. Some of us that claim to be followers of Jesus, we can identify with this. Do you know this word disciple? Do you know what it really means? In the scriptures, it means it carries a connotation of a student, right? Nod your head if you're like, yeah, I knew that. Okay, so four of you knew that. So a disciple carries a connotation of a student. But it also, in the Hebrew context, a disciple of a rabbi was a replacement. Did you know that? A disciple replaces the teacher. The idea is Jesus was saying, I've trained you, now I'm going, but don't worry, the Spirit of God is going to come and you will do greater things. Because Jesus was investing into his replacements. If we are disciples of Jesus, do you know what that means? We do the work of our rabbi. We fulfill his mission. That is our heartbeat. That is our desire. So you can, you can relate to that. Some of you. A second thing that we can relate to is people keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. <laughs> That's another type of person, right, that we can see in this story. So there's the first, Jesus, the seeker, the saver. And then the second is those that are keeping Zacchaeus from seeing the people. Or, I mean, keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. Are you one of those people? Did you know one of the biggest reasons why people don't believe in Jesus is Christians? Christians are one of the biggest reasons why people don't see Jesus. Is that you? Can you relate to that? Does the way you drive <laughs> exalt Jesus? <laughs> huh? I mean, that's a, is that a valid question? What about the way you go to Red Lobster? What about Costco? Is the way you park at Costco, is that honor Jesus or does it keep people from seeing Jesus? Do you understand? What about your marriage? Is the way you serve your wife or your husband, is that, is that keep people from seeing Jesus? Is the way you don't serve keeping people from seeing Jesus? Is the way you parent, the way you coach, the way you ref, James, I see you over there. I will call you out eventually, probably, if I know your name. The point is, whatever it is that we're doing, we could do it in such a way that we show Jesus or that we keep people from seeing Jesus. When we were in India, one of the things that we found was an effective way of reaching Muslims. We could speak to 10 Muslims in our region of Bihar and four out of the 10 would agree to a, a, a Bible study with this method. Four out of 10, that's 40%. That's not so bad. I bet you that's a better percentage than we'd have here in Reading if we went out and we just started talking to people. For these Muslims, you know what it was? We talked about Jesus. We didn't, we didn't talk about Christianity. We led with Jesus. 
We said, would you, we're followers of Jesus. We read his books and we obey his word. Would you like to read the books of Jesus with us? Four out of ten would agree to do it. Four out of ten were, were willing to talk about Jesus. If we had said, you know, we're Christians and we're here to talk about Christianity and how we can conform you into what we want you to be, I don't think it would have been a very good percentage. Right now, guys, we have trained up three guys that are trainers, local believers who are now training other believers and are actually leading Bible studies. We've got 50 ongoing Bible studies taking place in 50 different Muslim family networks. Some of them are multiplicative in nature. Some of them have more than one generation. And you know how this is working? We're talking about Jesus. We're making the focus Jesus and his word. And if they're willing to obey the word of God, put it into practice, and share it with others, we'll keep meeting with you. This is what God is doing. But it's about Jesus. Are we those people that, that keep Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus? Or are we people that show Jesus in all we do? The third, the third person we can relate to is Zacchaeus, right? This is somebody who you know something's wrong in your life. It might be you this morning, it might be you listening on the radio or the internet, and you know there's something broken in your life, and you know you can't fix it yourself. You've tried so many different things, and you know that you've broken and sinned, and, and honestly, you've made a mess. This is Zacchaeus. Something was drawing him to Jesus. He knew he needed to see Jesus. And that might be you this morning. And here's Zacchaeus. And when he encounters Jesus, he finds him far more welcoming and far more gentle and far more loving than he ever could have imagined. And that's the reality of who Jesus is. He is, he is the one who died for you and for me. He is the one who took our punishment so that if we are in Christ, when we die, when we see God someday, he will not judge us for our sin. Because we are in Christ, he has already judged Jesus for our sin. Do you realize what this means? For a Zacchaeus person, for somebody who can relate to Zacchaeus, what that means is because of what Jesus has done for us and the love he's shown for us, that's worth everything. It's worth all my money. I don't know how much Zacchaeus had left after he gave all this away. I don't know. I'm guessing it's not a whole lot. But he doesn't seem sad about that deal. He's overwhelmed with Jesus and he says, whatever I've got, it's yours. Today's football day also. It's the first Sunday of the season for NFL. If you're like me, you're overjoyed at this. You know, especially after spending the last four years in, in India and doing all this India stuff. I miss the NFL, you guys. I've got my DVR set. Don't tell me who wins the Raiders game, please. I'm a huge Raiders fan, by the way. I reluctantly admit that. But listen, a few years ago, I saw something that I just love, this image. I, I believe it was a Steelers game, and it was a point after the, the touchdown. They kick the, the point after so it's like a field goal, and the ball sails through the uprights, 
And all of a sudden, out of the corner of the screen, you see this on SportsCenter, this guy was on the rails of the, of the bleachers. You might remember this. And what happens is, as the ball sails through, he times it perfectly, jumps off the rails, catches the ball, and falls about 15 feet to the concrete below. <laughs> it was on Sports Center. And here's this guy. I don't know what he was drinking. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, but at some point, it entered his mind as he's sitting there with his nachos or whatever he's got. He's sitting there watching the game, and he goes, you know what? This isn't worth near as much as that football. I got to have that football. My health, my limbs are not worth nearly as much as this football. I've got to get that football. And so he, he, he gets on the rails. He plans this. It's premeditated. It's determined in his mind. He must have that football. And he jumps, times it perfectly, grabs the ball, falls to who knows what. And as they wheel him away on a gurney, <laughs> he holds up the football and the crowd cheers. You hear that story and you look at that football guy, the football jumper guy, as I call him, and you think to yourself, what an idiot. And that's what the world thinks of you and me. People in Santa Barbara, they look at Nicole and I, they think, what idiots. Look at what they had. and Look at what happened. Look at where they went. I got the football. How about you? Is it worth it? Are you willing to lose it all and get the Savior? Zacchaeus people, people who can relate to Zacchaeus, the truth is we're broken, we're a mess, but we're willing to cash in everything for Jesus and the life that he gives. Is that you? And the last thing are the angry, the displeased people, the complainers. These people were upset because they knew what kind of person Zacchaeus was. And honestly, they were absolutely correct. He was a horrible person. You know, in that day and age, in that culture, Zacchaeus, he was the equivalent of an American who sells out and supports ISIS. Do you get that? How would you feel... If Jesus was to spend time with an ISIS supporter. You see, in, the, in that day and age, a tax collector, and especially the chief tax collector, he was a sellout, not only betraying his own people, but he would betray them to the Roman government. He worked for the, the bad guys. People that were violent, people that were constantly mistreating and abusing and terrorizing his own people, he worked for them. And the second thing he did was he probably robbed and stole. And he probably had this huge network, like sort of like a, you know, Al Capone situation, where a huge network of people that were robbing the normal guy and giving him a cut of that money. That's how he would amass his wealth. He was a sellout, a betrayer, and a robber and a thief.
Is that the sort of person that you would look for? You see, Jesus sees a person like that and he says, he's the person I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who is lost. That's Jesus. He meets people where they are at. I want to do the same. Not only spiritually and emotionally, but I physically want to go where those people are. I want to go be by those lost people. I want to go to the least, the last, and the lost. I want to literally be in proximity to them. That is what Jesus is saying. That's what followers of Jesus do. Disciples of Jesus do what Jesus did. If you are a disciple of Jesus, our call is to seek, to search for those who are lost. In a few minutes, we're going to have a children's ministry meeting. This is for anybody who has, is currently, or is interested in possibly serving in children's ministry here at Cross Point. You see, I believe in my heart that God called Nicole and I here to this church to be difference makers. We don't want to just kind of sit here and just have a fun little gathering together. We want to be a church that plants other churches. We want to be a part. We desperately want to be a part of something that can only be described as the hand of God. We want to be a church that makes a difference. We want to be a church that makes disciples out of children who also make disciples. We want to train families to be difference makers for the kingdom of heaven. That's why God's called us here. That's why we're having this meeting. If you want to come, we'll feed you lunch. It'll be short. It'll be fun. It's for you if you want to come. Also, home groups. Last week, we had a great response from people who want to start in home groups. That's something we're going to be starting in the next few months. And honestly, you guys, you know what home groups, the secret reason why we're having them, it's because there's a lot of people in your neighborhood that maybe would never feel at home here in church, but they might come to your house. If you invited them, they might come to your house. That's where people encounter Christ. We want to save your neighborhood. We want you to be a disciple maker in your neighborhood, in your workplace. These are the people God has called you to disciple. That's why we're doing home groups. If you're interested in home groups, you've got chat cards. Fill that out. Just say home groups on the back of your chat card, and we'll contact you in the next few weeks. So I've got this rope here. You guys see this rope? You can nod, or I'm always looking for, like, people that are still with I'm a youth pastor like I have conversations I don't really preach I just talk with people so we've got this this rope here John can I get you to hold this part here you just hold that end I'm not sure how long this rope will be can you all see the rope raise your hand if you cannot see it <laughs> I tricked you raise your hand if you cannot see the rope no nobody okay you can't okay it's a big yellow rope. Actually, it's not that big, but it's big enough. Okay. It's taking longer than I was hoping to unravel this rope. Okay. It's pretty long. Pretty long. I don't know who can hold this. How about you guys? Can you hold that part? 
try to not clothesline these guys in the front row. <laughs> so here's this long yellow rope. Do you see this? Nod your head. If, yeah, I see this rope. I want you to imagine that this rope represents eternity. Okay, Steve, can you hold this part? You can stay seated. This rope represents eternity. I forgot my Sharpie. Okay. It's, eternity is something immeasurable, but I want you to get the idea, like, this rope is huge. Eternity is represented by this rope. This white part, this tape that I've put here, can you see the tape? You know what that represents? The part of eternity that we measure and call time. In the scope of eternity, it's tiny, a couple inches. All of time. Now this, right here, you see this? This dot represents the span of time known as your life. Can you see it? <laughs> Some of you might be able to. You see what I'm saying? We got this one life, you guys. We got these 70 years, maybe less, maybe a few more. Are you going to use it for this? Are you going to use this for that? Are you with me? Are you understanding? Is this something that you feel like is a trade worth giving? To use your remaining days to make disciples who also make disciples, to seek and to save the lost. That's, that's the message this morning. That's the purpose statement of Jesus. And that's the call for you and I to go to the lost, to seek them, to save them. Honestly, you guys, we can do this with kind of a bad attitude. Like, yeah, have you ever had to, like, find your keys? Yeah, nod your head if you're like, yeah. Have you ever lost your keys? I hate losing my keys. I hate having to search for them because it's always at a horrible time. And when I search for my keys, you know what my attitude is like? Usually pretty bad. Searching for stuff isn't things that we often like. Unless it's Easter. And we do something, and I think we as a church do something in the courtyard, right? What's it called? Easter egg hunt. I don't know where this comes from or why we do it or why it's some sort of Christian thing, but here's the point. My kids, and I say, hey, kids, we're going to do an Easter egg hunt. They don't go, oh, oh, man, I've got to search. To them, they love it. Hey, kids, we're going to do an Easter egg hunt. And they go out and they go after it and they love it and they're searching and they're finding an egg. They're rejoicing and they're looking for another one. This is what it's like to follow Jesus. You're not searching for your keys. You're going to the mall, and you're on an Easter egg hunt. Who's the one God has prepared for you? Who's the one you're supposed to pray for? Who's the one you're supposed to talk to? It's an Easter egg hunt. You're looking for somebody that God has prepared. You're looking for somebody who he's wanting to find. You're looking for somebody who's lost, that you're going to restore them to their Savior. 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The worship team is going to come up here. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond. It might be that you are here and you identify with Zacchaeus and you have never come to the point in your life where you've given your life to Jesus and you said, Lord, whatever you want, I will do. Lord, you are worth it. I will give my life to you. If that is you this morning and you want to make a commitment to Christ, you want to give your life to Jesus, then I invite you during this song to come forward, to bow down and just pray and give your life to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you know that you have been living your life for yourself, and honestly, it's been a long, long time since you've even tried to seek and save those who are lost. This is for you. Come and have this time with God. And it might be that you're going through something difficult. You're going through something painful. And the, the bottom line is you just want to bring it up to Jesus. Come, this song is for you. The point is, don't let this opportunity pass by. If there's something God is tugging on your heart, he wants you to pray about, he wants you to give to him, come. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your kindness, the goodness that you've shown. Jesus, thank you that you seek and save the lost. And during this time, Lord, during this song, we ask that you would do all that you want to do in us. In the name of Jesus.